couple of weeks ago, I can't remember exactly, was it a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, all the days sort of run together after a while, but we got into a lot of discussions around the Supreme Court ruling saying that uh, extreme intoxication could indeed be used as a defense in cases of violent crime. Uh, you know, originally they had said, no, it can't. Um, government put in a law, and the Supreme Court said that law is unconstitutional. Another ruling today that has a lot of you on the text line already, uh, a little puzzled, a little concerned, and a little upset. Uh, the Supreme Court today said that Alexandre Bissonnette, uh, the guy who went on a deadly shooting spree at a Quebec City mosque a few years back, can indeed apply for parole after she served 25 years behind bars. Um, the court today decided that a 2011 criminal code provision that says to a judge, hey, in the event of multiple murders, you can impose life sentence and parole ineligibility consecutively, one after the other, basically eliminating the chance for parole or release in mass murders, Um they deemed that that law from 2011 is unconstitutional. So basically that means you cannot put somebody in jail and throw away the key, to put it in simplest terms. They have to have uh, a shot at release. How realistic it might be, I don't know. It's another discussion, but let's break it down um, with our legal consultant, uh, criminal defense lawyer, legal commentator, Ari Goldkind. Ari, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Great to be on with you both. Did did I sum this up correctly, Ari? In terms of you know, this is basically saying you can't just put somebody away and forget about them. You know, Shay, you did because this is such a fascinating case because it's not legalese. Okay, this touches a core. I actually think, Shay, this is one of the more important decisions in Canadian history. That's saying a lot. Okay. Okay. Because it goes to the heart of what is each life worth? How does the criminal justice system treat the fact that if You know, let's look at the school shooting in Texas, okay? I can guarantee you that if that piece of garbage wasn't killed, every single life he took would have added to his sentence, which would have added up to 1,472 years, okay? Yep. We don't do that in Canada. In 2011, as you very ably pointed out, the Harper government, and remind me to tell you about the Trudeau government, because that's the interesting part of this. The Harper government in 2011 says for Paul Bernardo types, for mosque shooting types, for Alec Manassian types who go down Young Street in Toronto and mow over half the city and kill them, how is it that each life isn't worth a separate mathematical parole ineligibility period? The sentence is always life. Right. So one death is 25, two deaths should be 50. Makes sense. Correct. Correct. And here's why I'm going to get to Trudeau in a moment, but I'm going to give you this answer because I'm going to give it to you this way. As a political pundit and Canadian citizen, I absolutely detest the Supreme Court's decision today. I don't like the reasoning. I don't think they weigh the the value of life and victims and the loved ones and relatives of people killed, let alone the people killed who are six feet under rolling in their graves or quite frankly up in heaven looking down at the supreme court and going what is wrong with the nine of you yeah okay yeah but as a criminal defense lawyer and lawyer the decision actually makes complete sense and it will outrage twitter and to use your introduction of tiktok my belief is that if tiktok or twitter is outraged about something the courts do the courts are probably on to something here's why Harper says each life is worth something. I understand that. Makes completely sense, especially if you view the courts as reflecting the moral blameworthiness and the values of Canadians, okay? Mm -hmm. 
the Trudeau government, which is about as far left as left-leaning as any sort of semi-center-left or pretend to be just left-of-center party in history, never interferes with this. This is the point of this. The Trudeau government doesn't do away with this, ever, okay? Mm -hmm. That tells you that Parliament, as it then was, and Parliament as it was under our new fearless leader of the last six years, thought that this was good law, okay? The Supreme Court came along today, and I'm going to really keep it as simple as I can and then take whatever questions you or outraged people have, because I understand that outrage. Yeah. Parliament has said, look, ladies and gentlemen, the moral argument that each life is worth double, triple, if you take three, you shouldn't be able to apply for 75. The Supreme Court says that's not our battle. The moral part of that argument is a different form for a different day, okay? Yeah. What the Supreme Court says is this. It is cruel and unusual punishment and an affront to a killer's dignity. I have some problems with those terms, by the way. But cruel and unusual punishment and an affront to a serial killer's dignity that they don't have some tiny ray of light. Tiny, minuscule. Faint hope, right? Faint hope. Yeah, and that's the term in law, but this goes even before, because here's why what I'm going to say should make people sort of get the coffee that they spit out when they saw the decision to get it sort of back in their mouth in slow motion. The Supreme Court says, look, between you and I, and I'm doing a wink-wink, nudge-nudge here, because you read the very long decision, but it really comes down to five or six lines for me. I think paragraph 142 is actually the one that jumped out to me, if I'm remembering it. The long and the short of it is this. We don't want to have, and I'm going to be silly here for a minute. You're going to get the point, but I'm going to be intentionally silly. You know how you watch A&E or the Discovery Channel and you watch all these shows about life at Rikers? Yes. Yep. Where all these lifers are stabbing each other, all the gangs are murdering each other, slitting throats and slitting guards' throats? Yep. Yep. That is literally the argument the Supreme Court picks up, which says if you're going to put a Bissonette, a Bernardo, a Manassian into the penitentiary, and they know that no matter what counseling courses, schooling, education, finding God they do, they're never going to be able to apply, even when they're 82, to have a little bit of air. Mm -hmm. You're You're going to be creating Rikers Island right in Canada, and Canada cannot permit that. And we never allow a punishment, and this is, again, I think people will have different views of it, and I respect that. We don't allow a punishment where we completely throw away the idea of rehabilitation, as eye-rolling as to some listeners as that would be. And the last part, and this is really it, this is why it can be distilled down into literally what I'm saying, not tooting my own horn, is that the parole board, ladies and gentlemen, will know in 25 years that they are dealing with a Bernardo, a right. Manassian, a Bissonette. And so for everybody thinking the 25 years means that's their sentence, it's no. Life means life, and the parole board are not going to make stupid decisions of letting out monstrous serial killers so everybody take a chill pill. Cold comfort to loved ones and the deceased, but that's the thinking as simply as I can explain it. I think you're absolutely right. I think the thinking is, you know what, in law, you can't um, you can't deny them the right to go before a parole board. So we're going to let that happen with the understanding that they're never going to get parole. And I think most of us go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But that does, I mean, we've all heard of people out on parole and said, why the hell was this person out on parole? You know, I mean, so I think it would be understandable to have some Canadians say, 
I don't know if I have complete faith in the system to make sure that Bernardo, Bissonette, Manassian don't end up out on the street someday. And I'm not so sure Canadians should have full confidence in our system. I think there are many flaws in our system from top to bottom. Generally, the parole board will not let out a Bernardo. Yes, they let out people that go out and reoffend, but the numbers statistically of lifers who are released is infinitesimally small, and even those that are released, there is statistics that the Canadian public should not be outraged. I thought you were going in a different direction about parole hearings, and here's where I would come at it. And, you know, here's the thing about it. I don't know that not any of the nine justices have had family members or loved ones killed by monsters in a mosque or on a street or in a synagogue or in a school, okay? Yeah, yeah. There's an element to me. I mean, I haven't had it happen to me, so I consider myself sitting in the ivory tower, too. But if you're the relatives or the parents of the ones Paul Bernardo killed or the ones that Bissonette shot up in the mosque yeah. or the ones that Manassian ran over, I actually think it's cruel and unusual in a way. I'm, sorry, I'm not being silly, but I'm, I'm using that word for a reason. I think it's cruel and unusual that in 25 years or 22 years, Alec Manassian, just like Paul Bernardo did last year, will apply for parole, even though it's a complete waste of time and an affront. But what happens is all the relatives and loved ones have to drive to Kingston, Ontario, or to Edmonton, Alberta, and they have to sit there and look this man in the eye while he does this. That, to me, and again, I've never had this happen to me, but I have empathy for those mothers and fathers and children and friends who will sit there and be put through this rigmarole and to say, well, that's in 22 years, grief fades. No, I don't think so. You start talking about families who've had their children and loved ones robbed from them, that is a scar I understand you never heal from. So to me, the balancing here seems a little bit off because I don't think we're a bad country if we say from our Supreme Court, and our parliament actually said this, that judges have the discretion to do this. They never had to do it. They could choose to do it in certain circumstances. Does it make Canada a bad country if we as Canadians in a democracy say, look, if you shoot up a school like that piece of garbage did in Texas, that you actually don't ever get to breathe the same air as you and I, and maybe we create a jail where we keep these Rikers Island worries that the Supreme Court talks about. Okay, so maybe there's one really, really bad supermax jail in Canada. Yeah, yeah. But that's, to me, the balancing of my training as a lawyer and reading the decision versus being an ordinary, average citizen and political person. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of people would agree with you on that. Uh, Ari, fantastic as always. Thanks so much for your time today. Great to be on with you. That is Ari Goldkind, who is a criminal defense lawyer and a legal commentator breaking it down. So, yeah, the decision is, uh, and I think Ari's right, it, it comes with the assumption that, um, you know, as he says, Paul Bernardo, uh, Alex Bissonnette, or, Alex Bissonnette or um, Manassian in, in Toronto, uh, who, who was charged with uh, 10 counts of first-degree murder, uh, these people will never see the light of day. And the parole board will do what all of us seem to think would be completely and utterly reasonable and, uh, you know, beyond reproach to keep them behind bars. But, you know, like he said, and we've seen it before, right? I mean, uh, Mark David Chapman killed John Lennon. He's never getting out of jail, but constantly goes through parole hearings. Same thing happened. Jodie Foster had to go in with the guy that went after. I mean, I mean, it happens. The, the, the Manson family always get parole hearings. And, and yeah, the victims and their families get dragged through it over and over and over and over. Uh, but as Ari said, constitutionally, it does make sense.